Matthew chapter 5, and our text is going to start in verse 38 and go down through verse 42. And we've been finding in the Sermon on the Mount that our Lord is challenging us at every point, challenging us in ways that go contrary to our natural bent, the way we tend to think, act, speak. But He's calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to be, well, like Him, to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that is where this is heading in verse 48 when we get there at some point. Be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So I want you to see the trajectory where this is all going. We're going to go back to verse 38 here in Matthew chapter 5. And it says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. As we've been going through these passages, we're seeing this pattern of Jesus bringing up something that they've heard. Something they've heard in the past. And he is correcting their impressions about that. Over and over again, he's been quoting from the Old Testament, but what we found is that these people thought they knew what God's Word said, but they didn't really understand what was being said. They weren't really using it the right way, and that's not, um, you know, a new problem. This is something we see all the time. We've been talking about it quite a bit. We talk about it in Sunday school. We talk about it on Wednesday nights. We talk about it on Sunday mornings where people do not appropriately interpret and apply the Word of God. There are a lot of people who can look at the same Bible that you and I look at and come up with some really crazy ideas. And so Jesus is encountering that very thing in His day and His time. And what he says, and I kind of want to point this out, he says, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time. He's not questioning what was written, the Old Testament. He is questioning what they've heard about it, what they were thinking. Well, is this, is this statement here an eye for an eye, a tooth for the tooth? And Is that in the Old Testament? Well, absolutely it is. Go with me to Exodus chapter 21, and I want to read uh, the first of three times that we find that statement in Scripture. Exodus chapter 21, and Exodus 21 is the chapter right after the Ten Commandments are given. And so this is one of those early things that was expressed to the Israelite, the Jewish people. Here in Exodus 21, starting in verse 22, it says, If men strive, so there's a fight going on, and they hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit, the child, departs from her, and yet no mischief follows, so there's not been a loss of life, He, the person who hurt her, shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Remember that word, judges. And if any mischief follow, if the child passes away, then thou shalt give life for life, 
Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out of the manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. So what we see in this passage that was being given to these Jewish people here early on, at Mount Sinai was they were given some legal codes, some law for the judges to use. This was not about ever about personal vendettas. This was never about seeking revenge. It was about giving the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish judges some rules, some laws to work with so that they could properly assess restitution and penalties when things happened. And things happen. There are problems. There are fights. There are abuses. And this would give the judges what they needed to be able to do something productive and appropriate. Now, at the time that Jesus is preaching, and when Jesus is speaking this, they've largely kind of gotten rid of going and burning somebody else who had burned somebody or knocking out their eye or tooth. And they had largely made this uh, financial as far as restitution, and they had valued these things. But these rules were still around. What was happening here was that these people were looking at that and saying, well, if you get me, then I'm going to get you back. They were taking what was meant for use by the judges of the time in a legal sense, and they were taking it and trying to use it personally to give them some sort of uh, rationale or scriptural basis to go and seek revenge against other people. What these were meant to do was to give the judges some guardrails. So that there would be punishment when there was a wrong. They wouldn't just let things go, but it wouldn't be too much, right? To kind of set some guardrails, not too lenient, not too harsh. Because there is a tendency among us when we've been hurt to be too harsh in response. Y'all remember Cain and how he slew Abel? And the Lord placed upon Cain a a curse for anybody who would lay their hand upon him that they would be avenged with sevenfold. Well, one of Cain's offsprings, offsprings, offspring was a man named Lamech. And he killed somebody else. And he made the statement, surely if Cain was avenged sevenfold, then anybody who touches me will be avenged seventy and sevenfold. And so Lamech had this sense of you touch me, you're going to get 77 times anything worse than what you ever do to me. We understand even from our own American history, there can be this thing such as blood feuds. Y'all have heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys and those types of things going on like that. And those laws the Lord put in place back at Mount Sinai for the Jewish people was to try to get rid of that kind of thing. But we find these people here in Jesus' day had taken that and they were trying to take that legal standard and use it personally to justify vengeance and retribution. And so Jesus is speaking into the midst of that and he's telling them what he wants of his people. The type of attitude and the type of heart that needs to be in his people. And so in responding to that, he says in verse 39 through uh, 41, and I want to break it up a little bit because if you look at verses 39 through 41, Jesus first addresses those who would do evil to you. 
Okay, verses 39 through 41 are saying, but I say to you that you resist not evil, but, and then he gives three examples of things where someone might do something evil to you and how you should respond. And then we come to verse 42. 42 is not about someone doing evil to you, but someone asking something of you. Okay, and so let's break it down just like Jesus does here. He says, I don't want you first to resist evil. Now, We resist evil. That is our job. We stand against the devil and all of his schemes. We preach God's truth and the gospel into the midst of sinful world, people who are lost. We are trying to stand against Satan and all of his devices. But what Jesus is telling us here is not that he's not trying to undermine our mission, the great commission and our calling. He's saying, I do not want you to have a hostile response to evil that is being done to you. That's what he's saying. I don't want you to have a hostile response to evil done to you. We are to resist evil in a very real sense, but not in the power of our flesh. And so he gives here three examples. And the first one, he says, But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And when we read this here, one of the things we learned early on, when we were, a few messages ago when we were talking about uh, the sin of adultery and not looking upon a woman to lust, and it talked about if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, pluck it out or cut it off. <clears throat> we understand that most of the people at that time were right-handed. And so just kind of go with me here for a moment, okay? If you were to be hit upon your right cheek, by somebody who usually, in this case, this time, were right-handed, that means they backhand slapped you. Okay? That's what Jesus is speaking of. And it matters. It matters because the Jewish Talmud, their, their additional laws, their interpretation of their laws, differentiates between someone slapping you like this and somebody slapping you like this. They differentiated it. Okay? It says, and this I'm going to quote from it here. This is a Talmud on damages. How, how much do you assess damages for when somebody does something like this? It says, if someone slaps another person, he must pay 200 zuzim. If it was backhanded, he must pay 400 zuzim. If someone flicks a person's ear, pulls his hair, spits so that it lands on him, strips his cloak off or pulls off a woman's headscarf in public, they must pay 400 zuzim. A zuzim is about 20 bucks. And so getting backhanded is worth about $8,000. And so when Jesus is speaking about being slapped on the cheek, I believe he's talking about getting backhanded, which would have been the most, uh, you know, you could have got the most money off of that one. But it's not just about how much money you could have got. It's about what it meant. Because that's one of the most demeaning things. You talk about your dignity. For somebody to just come and slap you across the face. I know personally, uh, there is nothing that would uh, raise my ire, my blood pressure, my, my anger more than someone just coming up and slapping me across the face. And Jesus' command in that instance is turn then your left cheek to them to slap as well. What he's talking about here is someone assaulting your dignity. 
someone doing something to you that is incredibly insulting and hurtful. And he is saying to turn the other cheek. And the second example, under someone doing evil to you, he says, if a man will sue thee at law, in verse 40, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And when he's talking about a coat, he's speaking of the tunic, which was, in their day and age, they wore a, a garment that covered from shoulders down to someplace right above their knees. That was, it says coat, but we, we think a coat like this, but that's not what they called a coat. It was the tunic. It was that basic primary garment that they wore. And if someone goes to sue you at law to take away this basic garment, he says, give them your cloak also. And that was the overgarment that they would wear over that. Something that was longer, larger. They could even wrap up and sleep in it at night. It was the garment that would protect them from the elements. In fact, there were laws uh, that the Lord gave um, in the Old Testament that says, you know, if, if you, someone owes you money and you took collateral from them, for, it was their cloak, then you give it back to them at night because they need it to sleep in, okay? I mean, it was a really important primary outer garment. And think about the picture. If someone sues you to take away your tunic, then give them your coat. So what are you left wearing? Nothing. That's kind of the picture. In this illustration, this is an assault on your essential personal property rights. And the third example of someone doing evil to you is this, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. That means two. This came back in the days of the Persians because they had mail carriers and those who were carrying the king's mail had the power to uh, conscript somebody to help carry that mail for a mile. And so they could go to you and say, I'm carrying the king's mail. I need help. I need you to go with me the next mile. And you would have to go and carry that mail for another mile. The Romans took that on, and the Roman soldiers had the ability to conscript somebody to go and carry their armor or some load for a mile. They could legally oblige you to do this. Think about Jesus being crucified, where a Roman soldier went and got a man named Simon of Cyrene and said, you help carry this cross. We are on official Roman business, and we need you to help carry this cross. And he was obligated to go and help to carry the cross that Jesus was physically exhausted and could no longer carry. And Jesus' command is when they tell you to go with them a mile, because that is what they could legally do, will you be willing to go with them Two miles. Well, that's an assault on our personal rights. That's a huge imposition. And it even helps the enemy because these were the Roman occupiers at the time. And the last thing a Jewish person would want to do is help them with any of their business. And so these things that Jesus was saying to them were um, incredibly profound. Honestly, probably really scary like, what is this guy expecting of us? What is he telling us to do? This is, just sounds absolutely crazy. And quite honestly, it sounds crazy to us too. That hasn't changed. This sounds crazy to us too. And then we go down to verse 42. This final verse, and it's distinct because he's not talking about someone doing you evil. It's someone coming to you and they're asking something from you. They're, they're begging from you, or someone asked to borrow something from you. And it says, do not turn them away. Give them what they ask for. 
lend to them what they are requesting. And that's pretty straightforward. Uh, there's no special Greek or Hebrew or Persian or whatever, anything to understand or just recognize. He's telling us to be willing to be generous and give and to lend. And so if we just kind of stop right there and leave things as they are, you've now been stripped of your dignity, your clothes, your time, and your resources at the whim who are evil and anybody who would ask you for anything. And so that's why this is so scary. When you hear this passage, you think about the implications of that. You're just going to be like, well, then I'm just going to have nothing. And we understand very well. We've talked about this as a church. It's like, for example, the blessing box out there. It's a wonderful thing. But we know that we could not keep that thing full if we wanted to. And it's not just that. There are other circumstances and situations we know. And, you know, I kind of have an adage, you know, when I talk about things like this, you know, you cannot fill a bottomless pit. I mean, you will just keep putting sand and dirt in and you will keep doing it because there is no bottom to that thing. So, so what do we make of this passage that Jesus is, is speaking to us and he's telling us something? This passage has been misused. This passage has been abused. This passage has been used, I believe, wrongly to support abolishing capital punishment. This passage has been used to support passivism at a national level or non-resistance. But I think that what we understand from the balance of Scripture in Romans 13 is that the Lord has committed the sword to government for the purpose of exercising judgment against evildoers. And so if we understand that, we recognize that God has given to the government responsibilities to look over these things, to execute justice, to to bring appropriate punishment to evildoers to do those things, and to take Jesus' words here and use them that way is just as bad as the way people were going and taking the Old Testament passages about the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth and making it about personal vengeance. This passage that Jesus is giving to us, these words of Jesus are about us personally, not about what our government's supposed to do. This is about how you and I, as God's people in this world, how we are to interact. And we don't want to repeat the same mistake that Jesus is trying to fix from these people, the Jewish people, who they were misapplying the Old Testament. And we also understand that there are some other scriptural principles that we see voiced in the New Testament. Some other examples we see. For example, the Apostle Paul. He was writing to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, even when we were with you, when we were there with you, boots on the ground, among you as a people, doing mission work, we commanded you this, that if anyone would not work... Neither should he eat. Paul did not endorse endless handouts among the brethren, but rather a willingness to work. And so you have to balance that with what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus will say in not too far many verses in chapter 7, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. In other words, you need to have a lot of discretion about what you give to the lost. You need to think about what you give them. 
what you tell them, what you put out there, because their fundamental nature is not to understand or appreciate, and they may take that which is precious and run over it with their feet. And so there needs to be some wisdom and discretion about what we give out in terms of our words and even the resources God has given to us. We see in Luke chapter 22, and this could be a very interesting discussion, that Jesus is talking to his disciples about his impending arrest and crucifixion. And he says, you know, when I sent you out before, I said, don't take an extra coat and don't take extra food and all this stuff. But now I'm going to tell you that things are going to change. And if you have an extra coat, I encourage you to sell it and go buy a sword. And what we find is that some of those disciples were already packing. They had swords. Like, Jesus was not surprised by this, right? He knew they were packing. And a couple, couple, couple of them said, hey, here's swords. They had a couple swords. This, this okay? And Jesus said, yeah, that, it, it's enough. Now, I recognize there's varieties of interpretations about that passage. But the point is, those brethren who were with Christ were packing swords. And they probably weren't just for shaving. But they were there for a, a purpose of self-defense. And Jesus the way I understand that passage was not criticizing them from having those swords to use at the appropriate time. And then as far as asserting our rights, we see the Apostle Paul on two occasions in the book of Acts. He used his Roman citizenship at Philippi after he had been beaten and thrown in jail and the angel came and released him. And he had went to the house of the jailer, the Philippian jailer, and his family, and they all got saved and baptized that night. And the officials came the next day, and we don't know exactly what they were thinking about doing. He goes, but you know, you guys didn't give me due process because I am a Roman citizen. Oh, well, we can't beat anybody who's a Roman citizen without a trial. And they realized they had done wrong, and all of a sudden they started backpedaling him, backpedaling and gave him freedom and encouraged him to leave. And then there was that time when he was arrested in Jerusalem and they were putting him out and getting ready to flog him. And he said, you know, is this lawful for you to do to me because I'm a Roman citizen? There he asserted his rights. In fact, not only did he assert that right there for a trial, he appealed unto Caesar. And so Paul asserted his rights in certain circumstances that prevented him from getting flogged. That allowed him to continue to have freedom there in Philippi? So how do you balance all of these things? Because when we look at this passage, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. If they ask for your coat, give them your cloak. If they ask you to go a mile, go with them too. Give to those that ask and let those that would borrow from thee, let them have it. And what I'm afraid of doing and what I do not want to do is to put so many exceptions in here that this passage doesn't say anything. And if we don't have it saying anything, then we say it means nothing. And that's not right. This passage does say something to us. And so let's talk about, with all these things here, let's talk about what is, I hope, clear that it says. Number one, no vengeance. No vengeance. If this passage says anything at all that is perfectly clear, Jesus is trying to break this sense of having personal 
vengeance. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Let God deal with this. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord says, I got this. I got this because my eyes see everything perfectly. I understand. I alone can truly mete out equity and justice unlike anybody else. I can do this the right way. Give it to me. Give it to me. Jesus is trying to break any sense in us of having to go and seek vengeance. And my friends, it is so easy for us when we have been hurt. Someone has insulted us in some way. Someone has taken something from us. Someone has been an imposition to us or asked of us that we carry this burden. We carry this hurt. We carry this sense of vengeance. And we can find ourselves with a slip of the tongue saying and doing things that are intended to try to get back at them. And Jesus says, I want none of that among my people. I want none of that among my people. Number two, as we try to balance all these scriptures and all these things, I think we can say that if the loss that is being imposed upon us would hurt the cause of Christ or injure others, it may be time to stand. There is a time to stand. There is a reason not to give if the giving could just make a matter worse. If the giving could just make a matter worse, then love for that other person would say, no matter how much you ask, it's not going to help you for me to give this to you. And I want to help you. And so there is a time where love says no. There is a time to stand to defend. If you're standing to defend another's honor or another's life or another's property or standing to defend the name of Christ the Lord, there is a time to stand and to defend in an appropriate way. We have people in this church who are prepared and ready should someone try to come in here and injure people in this congregation, prepared to stand and do something decisive that needs to be done to protect the people in this place. It's not about them. In fact, the people willing to do this are ones who are willing to stand in the way for the sake of others. Willing to stand in the way for the sake of others. And Jesus is not speaking against that. There is a reason, like we see in the Apostle Paul's case, to assert your rights if you are standing for the cause of Christ. If it's about making Jesus' name known and great, and I believe Paul was very strategic about when he played that Roman citizen card and when he didn't. Because for him it was truly ultimately about advancing the cause of Christ. And the third thing we can learn from this passage is that if you are the only one to suffer loss, then there is a time to lose. There is a time to lose. There is a time to be willing to let the other cheek be slapped. There is a time to be willing to give more. There is a time to be willing to go that extra mile if the only one that's going to be Put it in a position is is just you. When it's just about you. Because evil is never, ever, 
ever quenched by more evil. Evil is only ever quenched by positive righteousness. And because we have Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by the grace of God, because we have Jesus, we know that none of those other things truly matter because we have Christ. Jesus is going to tell us here in a few chapters, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about this and don't worry about that. Don't you know if you seek first the kingdom, I will take care of everything you need. Do we believe in the supernatural? Do we believe in a God who does not fit in the borders of the understanding of the people and the things of this world, who is beyond all that, who can do miracles, who can do anything he wants to take care of his people? Yes. By definition, that is the God we believe in. That is the God we serve. And if we want to see supernatural responses from God, we need to live in a supernatural way. A way that defies the logic of this world, the spirit of this age, the way that we are taught to stand up just for ourselves and to just defend ourselves and to try to do all these things because no one else is going to do it because the Lord tells us, you stand down and you let me take care of it. Because he cares about his people. He cares about defending the honor of his people. And I'll tell you, there was one who gave everything. Who gave it all who suffered the most horrendous indignity and gave everything, even his life. And we learn, we find in Philippians chapter 2, that because of that humility to suffer, to come to this world in the form of a man, and even go on to die, you know, the death of a servant, to just completely give himself, because of that, the Lord has given him a name that's above every name, that at that name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God. The Father has said He will not ultimately suffer indignity. He will be dignified. He will be glorified. And He will be honored because He was willing for the sake of others, for the sake of the cause, to surrender all. And He is calling us to be like Him. I've been thinking a lot about this lately as I just try to struggle and wrestle with my own sin that lies within my heart, praying about these things. And it has struck me, you know, the Lord talks about freedom. He talks about the concept of freedom. And I tell you, friends, there is a freedom. And I feel like occasionally, with God's help, I can just almost taste it. This freedom that we can have from so many things that we worry about if we would just quit being concerned about ourselves. If we could lay that down and just trust God to take care of us. There is a freedom from so much stuff that we as God's children can embrace because He's got it. His promises do not change no matter what. And when we have a supernatural, unnatural to this world response to the way people speak, act, behave toward us, we will see our God move in supernatural ways to show Himself faithful. We have to step out on faith. We have to step out on faith and trust what he said. I hope in some way this has challenged you like it's challenged me and it's a blessing to you. 
as we try to apply what Jesus has said. Does anyone have something on your heart this evening?